So he definitely needs the presence of God to go ahead of him, to speak through him. Um, it's been only two days and I miss him already. So it's, it's so hard to be pregnant and to have a three-year-old running around and be alone at home. <laughs> so he is such a champion for me. So I miss him. Um, so this morning... Uh, it, it worked out really, really nicely because Pastor Justin's not here and he wanted me to preach, but it also happens to be Women's Day. So you know that Zion Church uh, champions women in ministry. Amen. Amen. We have so many volunteers, so many leaders, so many women who are empowered in this church. If you don't feel like you have a voice in this church, come talk to me because you have a place, you have a voice. Because if you, if you, if you feel like God has placed a calling in your life, if you, if you feel like God has a ministry for you in this church, then come talk to me because you have a place, you have a calling. And I want to see your vision, your calling being full fulfilled in this church. Amen. Amen. Um, so this morning, uh, or Pastor Justin just told me last week that I'm supposed to preach. So he does this. He thinks it comes so easily, you know. He can do this so easily, but it doesn't come so easily for so many people. Uh, I'm naturally called to be a teacher, not a preacher. And so I had to definitely pray all week, God, what is it that you want me to speak? Uh, and I thought about all the messages that I've prepared over the years. I was like, okay, should I just re-preach some of the messages? And God said no. And God didn't give me a piece about it. But on Wednesday, God laid something on my heart on Wednesday. And I haven't been able to sleep since Wednesday. So I am just so excited to come here and deliver this message so I can go home and sleep tonight. <laughs> Amen. But do you, have you been in the place when God gives you a message in your heart or God tells you to do something and you feel like you just have to get it out? You have to get it out and only then you, you can go about the rest of the day or else you're just going to be thinking about it. The Holy Spirit is going to be compelling you to do that. So I have a message from God. And this is something that I've never preached. I've never heard somebody else preach about it. So, uh, so pray for me as we start this message. Uh, Jesus, I thank you, God, because you are truly amongst us. And we don't underestimate your presence, God. We don't take your presence lightly or for granted. Jesus, we pray that you have a fresh word for us. Master, only you our God who can have one message where I deliver, but it being translated to 50 different ways, to 50 different hearts, God. That it can communicate in the way that it's personalized to each and every single person here. And only a miraculous working God can do that. Master, you know our heart's desire. Our spouse doesn't know. Our parents don't know. Our children don't know. Our closest best friend doesn't know. But you know. And so Jesus, I pray that you will comfort us as we get into your word. Because your word is true. It's living. It's active. And I pray, God, that your glory will fall amongst us. Jesus, we don't want to be selfish in saying that God speak to me. But I pray, Jesus, that you'll speak to the person in front of me. That you'll speak to the person behind me, beside me. Jesus, I pray that your glory will fall on the people who are even watching us right now. I pray, Master, for the glory to fall upon 
the people who will be watching us in the future coming days, God. I pray, Jesus, that you will be the prayer answering God in our lives like you have always been. And I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We are going to jump into the word. We're in Luke chapter 1, verse 11 onwards. And as you all are turning to Luke chapter 1, um, I want to give you a little bit of context of what is happening. Um, so chronologically, when you look at it, the last book of the Bible, the uh, last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And the first chronological book of the New Testament is Luke. So between Malachi and Luke, there is a period of, of about 400 years. So it's been 400 years since a prophet has come amongst the people. It's been 400 years of silence, 400 years of no word of God, 400 years of no miracles, 400 years, that's quite a few generations of going about, right? And so there's quite a few generations who have gone between the last book of Malachi and the first book of Luke, where God has not spoken to the people. So the people are just doing whatever they've heard from their great-grandfathers, from the ancestors, what they have written in the books of the Old Testament. That's all they have. And so the children of God now has come back to their promised land. They're no longer in exile. But you know, they're, even though they're back in the promised land, they're no long, they're not, they, it's as if they're not in the promised land because they are under the oppression of the Roman government. So have you been in a place where you think that you're supposed to be, but it doesn't feel right in the presence of God? You feel like, God, I know I'm supposed to be here. This is what I've been praying about for the past so many days. So many years I've been praying about this, but God, I didn't expect it to be this way. I don't feel it in my heart like this is where I'm supposed to be, but I know in my in my in my head that this is what it's supposed to look like. But God, this doesn't feel like your presence. So the people of God, the children of God were praying for the Messiah to come. They knew that if the Messiah comes, he is going to deliver them from the Roman government. They knew that if the Messiah comes, they are going to, uh, the Messiah is going to be the new king and they will be in the promised land as they're supposed to be. They will have full freedom. But you, uh, all of us know when Jesus came, he didn't come just to become the king of Israel or one nation. He came to become the king over the entire world, not just during that time, but for the age to come. So it might look different from what we expect. What we expect is not how God always performs. Our expectation is different from the reality of what God is about to do in our lives. So we come here, we start off with, uh, with a couple who are about, uh, in, who are in their 60s. Their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay, so we have, we are introduced to a priestly family, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says in verse, um, it says in verse six, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, not only in the sight of the people, because obviously this is a testimony of the people, but also in the sight of God, they were righteous and blameless, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but 
they were childless. So immediately we're supposed to be thinking about another old couple called Abraham and Sarah who were in their old age, who did not have children, who led a life that was blameless. And we are introduced again to the first book of the New Testament chronologically to an elderly couple who are living a life that they think they're doing the right things. They're following all the steps of God, but there is something missing in their life. And they're not understanding, God, why? Why is this happening to to me? So we are in verse 11. So follow with me. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Me too. Then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Verse 14. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And this is what the angel is saying. Now Zechariah is standing there first of all astonished that there is an angel In church, imagine you're walking into this building by yourself and there is an angel. Listen, this is not a Cupid or a cherubim that you see in cartoons or movies or in some uh, 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 children's books. But this is an angel of the Lord. This is ginormous. Everybody in the Bible who's seen an angel has been terrified. So this has to be something terrifying. So he's already afraid. He's already astonished. Why is an angel coming and appearing to me? I'm an ordinary person. I'm not the high priest. You know, he's just there for one reason, and that is to burn incense. That's not a big task. That's not like a mighty task. He's just there to do a simple job of lighting an incense and an angel is there to greet him. And the angel says, I'm here to answer your prayer. What prayer? Which prayer? Which prayer are you talking about? Because I have so many prayers, but the one prayer that God is going to answer is that you are going to have a child. So Zechariah is saying, so I'm sorry, excuse me for interrupting you because I'm really confused right now. Are you telling me that you're, you're here to answer the prayer that my wife, Elizabeth, and I have been praying all through our 20s? Then we started praying this all through our 30s. Then we prayed this all through our 40s and we started losing hope. And then in our 50s, we said, Maybe this is just God's will for my life. Maybe God just does not want us to have any children. And we accepted this as our reality. And now, Mr. Angel, you think you can come into our life and tell us in our 60s that we are going to be first-time parents? You think that you can come into our life and tell us when my hips are hurting, When my bones are starting to shake, you're going to tell us that I have to learn how to change a diaper? I'm really confused how this is the plan of God and how you think this is going to work. Because this is not going to happen. Because the next verse he says, Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? 
I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. There's a reason why Zachariah says this. Because the last time this happened is also the first time this happened. Which was in the story of Abraham and Sarah. In the story of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. And when did the child come through? When Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 95. So between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, there is a long gap. And Zechariah wants to, wants to pace himself. You know, he wants to know what is the time difference between the promise and the fulfillment of this promise. How much longer should I wait? I buried this hope. This hope and this prayer that I had, I buried it a long time ago. So if you are going to come here and tell me that you want to resurrect this buried hope, you better be sure about that. You better be sure about that. And the angel says, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And so until this promise is fulfilled, your mouth will be shut. Because what happens when God gives a promise, not only are the people around you going to start saying negative things about you or start instilling doubts in your life, but also your own mouth. Sometimes your lips have to be sealed. When God gives you a promise, it's very logical for us to jump in and say, God, but that doesn't work out. How does this work out? How does this work out? And so God not only shut Zechariah's mouth, but because his mouth was shut, nobody else knew what was happening. So he couldn't communicate. And God was just able to do what he promised him to do. Amen. This morning, I want to know, is there somebody here who has a prayer that you have buried? A prayer that you said, God, a long time ago, I started praying for my unsaved family member. A long time ago, I started praying about what my life is supposed to look like. God, I thought this is what I was supposed to do right off of college. It's been 10 years. This is what, not what it's looking like. God, I'm still a stay-at-home mom. God, I'm still doing this real estate job. I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be, God. God, my child walked away from me so long ago. He's doing whatever he wants and that I know he's not in the will of God. But what, what can I do? Is he going to come back? Are you going to restore him back to, back to you? And it's been so many years that you almost feel like God has not listened to you. You know, you feel like God has not, God is turning a deaf ear to you. But here, listen to me. When you think that you have a deadline or a timeline for God, I think most of us have that, especially now that we live in this type of a culture where we have timelines, where in our workplaces we have deadlines. I think we place deadlines on God too. How many of us place a deadline on God? And we put a deadline on God and we say, God, you have this much time left for you to fulfill this prayer. If not, then I'm just going to assume that that is not the case. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is no. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is yes. And sometimes God's answer to our prayer is to wait. But there is always an answer. God never leaves an, a question or a prayer unanswered. God always answers your prayer. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 says, Is the arm of the, uh, is the, arm of the Lord too short to save? Is the ear of the Lord too 
too dull to hear, too deaf to hear. The Lord's ear is not deaf to hear. If you have, if you're thinking that God is late, you're, you're wrong because God is never late. He's always on time. In fact, you're just early. You're just early to come to this place. God is always on time. If you think that God is late, you have not met the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is like, he's trying to make a showstopper. Do you know what a showstopper is? A showstopper is when you present something that everybody around you just stops and stands in awe of what you have presented. The God of the Bible is the God who created an entire garden of Eden for his just to creation. Just Adam and Eve, just to, uh, just to show, to see the wonder in their eyes. The God of the Bible is the God who parted the Red Sea while the Egyptians were standing right behind them. The God of the Bible who is the, is, is the kind of God who likes to pour down manna and chicken from a desert sky. The God of the Bible is the God who makes the impossible things possible. If God was working on Zechariah's and, uh, and Elizabeth's timeline, but if God answered their prayer and they had their, their child in their 30s or 40s, then they could say, God just answered my prayer. Right? But instead, when God waits until they're in their 50s or 60s, what does it become? It becomes a miracle. When God does the impossible, that is when it becomes a miracle. Some of us are just waiting for an answer to our prayer. But what God intends for our life is for it to become a miracle and more than an answered prayer. When God finally answers your prayer You just wait because it's going to be a showstopper. Our God is the God who defends us. Our God is the God who fights for us. Our God is the God who is not going to let us stay by ourselves and fight this battle by ourselves or listen to the gossip of all the other people or be the center of ridicule. Our God is the God who is going to go ahead of us and level the mountains. Our God is the God who is going to go and fight and win our battles for us. Amen? Let's read the next verse. Verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. At their appointed time. Your time And God's time works on two different scales. And we have to wait for the appointed time. Because when the appointed time comes, there is a Kairos moment that's waiting to happen. When you are in sync with God's timing. And when that timing happens, something miraculous, something earth shattering is going to happen. What is that prayer in your life that you have given up on? If there is a prayer that God has not answered, wait for that prayer to be answered. Because when that happens, it's going to be an earth-shattering moment. Is there a family member that you're praying for? You know, my te- most of you guys know my testimony that we never grew up in a Christian home. We grew up Catholic just going to church ritually, uh, but all through my parents' entire life, there were people who visited us every week bringing us the gospel. They brought us the gospel. My parents will entertain them and tell, tell them to go back. And then they'll come back the next week. But we never listened to the gospel. 
you know. So it took 10 years of the gospel message to be preached to us faithfully by faithful Palm Christian people who came to our house every, every week. And then first my mom accepted the Lord. She took water baptism, but it was her secret. She didn't tell my dad because she was afraid. She was afraid of what the rest of the family would say. What is, how is the rest of the family, the rest of the community that I've built around myself, how are they going to react? But she kept praying so that the rest of the family will accept the Lord. And in 2004, the, my dad accepted, my sister and I, we got saved. And because one family got saved, eight of their siblings got saved the very next year. Amen. So when God changes one person's life around, it could be your secret, but you keep praying, you keep praying. It can take 10 years, it can take 20 years, but when God's appointed time comes, it's not just about you getting saved. It is because there's 20 other people around you getting saved as well. Amen. Women, there is a general idea around the world among most cultures that women cannot keep a secret. So since it's Women's Day, I can't be bashing about women, right? (laughs) So I can't put down women. So they say that women cannot keep secrets. So I'm not going to confirm this or deny this. But what I am going to say is that there's also men who cannot keep secrets, right? Because I listen to a lot of conversations. There's a lot of conversations that happen. So there are no secrets. I think this goes, this is not gender... uh, Specific, thank you. It's not gender specific. There, it goes both ways. But what I do know is that women can keep secrets about themselves and about their families. When it's something that happens to you, your husband, or your children, it stays in this house, right? My mama taught me that whatever happens in this house stays in this house. How many of y'all grew up learning this? Whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Nobody else needs to see our dirty laundry hung up outside, right? Everything happens in this house, stays in this house. We'll sort it out. We have our messes. We have our shortcomings. We don't need to know what's going on uh, about somebody else's life. We're... It's so easy for us to talk negative things about somebody else's laundry, right? It's so easy for us to talk about somebody else's faults and sins. But when it comes to our own thing, we're so protective, right? Because we might have failed. We might, there might be secrets in our life, but we'll figure it out. We'll get through this. We'll come out of this. I'm not sure how many men believe that, but I know that there are praying women who stand in the presence of God and who say, God, this needs to, we need to get through this. We need to get through this. And nobody else needs to know the issues that's happening in our house. So here we see Elizabeth, uh, and Zechariah, they are leading a blameless life. They are upright. They have checked off everything on that Christian to-do list, followed every single commandment, and yet God has not given them a child. You know, in most cultures, and for so many, so many years, if you don't have a child, it is It is kind of, there's a stigma associated with it. There's a stigma that there's something wrong with you. There's a stigma that it is because of your fault. There's a stigma that uh, there's a secret sin. So everybody, when they talk to Zachariah and Elizabeth, they might say, oh, everything's happy, everything's great, everything's nice. But behind them, they might be saying, 
gossiping. Okay, what is your secret sin? There must be something they're doing that God is not happy about. There must be something that they're doing that God is not favorable, that they don't have children. Why is there a curse? Do you think that Zechariah and Elizabeth did not know that? Have you been in in that situation when you know that people are talking behind your back? When you know, God, what have I done wrong? What is my mistake? I am ready to rectify it if you are able to just tell me. But listen, you just keep doing what you're doing. Because when Zechariah met the angel, he was not the high priest. He was not, he was just a lay member of the priestly family. He was just there. He was not there to read the scripture. He was there to light the incense. When God meets you, you just do what you're called to do. When God meets you, are you faithful to doing what God has empowered you to do? It might be to stack up chairs. It might be to sing in the, uh, in the worship band. It might be to come here every morning and make coffee for the church. It might be to visit somebody who is sick and take them a casserole. It might be something small that you think is small in your hands. But if God has told you to do that and you say, God, I can't preach. God. I can't sing, but what I can do is make a really good mac and cheese casserole. And I'm going to take this to the sick person there. I'm going to visit the uppigen who is sick there. I'm going to visit this person because I don't know how to pray all these lavish prayers, but I do know how to make a good chaya. So I'm going to do that. I do know how to clean the bathroom. So I'm going to do that. Whatever God has called you to do, do that one thing. When you are doing faithfully what God has told you to do, God is going to meet you in his appointed time. When God is coming to answer your prayer, are you going to be found where God expects you to be found? Amen? The people in the Bible whom God has called were never the brave, never the courageous, never the ones who were in a kingly position. Gideon was afraid. Gideon was pressing, pressing wheat in a wine press. He was afraid. But God called him brave. God called him to become a leader. When God calls you, he equips you. What, what, what are you doing? God, the only thing that God is looking for is obedience. Are you being obedient to what God has called you to do? Be obedient in the little things. You can say, God, you've anointed me to be a worship leader. You've anointed me uh, to, be, to be something else. You know, when... Uh, prophets come to uh, come to our church or come to our homes uh, there's a lot of people who hide right a lot of people start fasting and praying right before the prophet prophet comes and says god just forgive me of the sin so he doesn't reveal this in front of my parents so i don't want them to know what is happening in my life and you're trying to like get away from the situation you you try to hide you stand behind uh, your, your entire family so the prophet doesn't call you but Those are the people that the prophets do call. So if you don't want the prophet to call your name, you stand up front, right? You don't be the one who is standing behind and covering because you're going to be like a Saul uh, and God's going to call your name out. Uh, So there's a few different type of people that God calls, right? One type of uh, person is you want to be called for ministry. You keep praying. From the time you were born, uh, people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You say, I want to be a pastor, Right? I want to be a pastor. If God just gives me the calling, I'm ready to be a pastor. So that's one type of people. There's another type of people who say, 
I don't want to be called, but God calls them, right? And there's another type of people who they don't want to be called and God, God doesn't call them, which is fine. But the second group of people where God, they don't want to be called, but God still calls them, right? And you're like trying to run away from the calling that God has placed in your life. There are so many people sitting in front of me who are called by God to do a ministry here to do a pastoral ministry here, to do a preaching ministry, to do a worship service here, to do something that God has placed in your life, but you have been running away. How long are you going to run away from your calling? How long are you going to run away from the, the, uh, the calling that God has placed in your life? You can say, God, I heard the calling 20 years ago. I know I'm supposed to be a worship pastor, but I don't feel it in my heart, God. I don't have the heart for it. How do I develop the heart for it? I don't have the faith for doing what you have called me to do. How do I do that? How am I supposed to practically, God, how do I equip myself to become the person you've called me to, to, to be? There's one key way, obedience. Obedience is what develops your faith. Obedience is what develops your anointing. Obedience is what develops your heart. You're not going to become a preacher overnight. You're not going to become the best casserole maker overnight. You're going to take baby steps. You'll be obedient in step one. You'll be obedient through step two. You'll be obedient. There is a ladder that you're trying to climb. You don't go from glory to glory overnight. You go from glory to glory by climbing up that ladder and reaching. God's presence day by day through obedience. Are you being obedient in the small things that God has placed you uh, to do? Amen. Uh, I want us to, I know time's running by real fast. Um, verse 39 onwards. At that time, Mary got ready and her- hurried down to a town in the hill country of Judea. Verse 40, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed. Amen. Uh, right before this, um, I'm not sure if I read this. Verse 23, at the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace. We Here we meet an Elizabeth who has a secret. And Elizabeth, who, who everybody thought had a secret before she got pregnant, but now that she is pregnant, she has a secret. Why is she hiding? For five months, why is she hiding? Why is it that, you know, if it was me and if God blessed me with a child in my 60s and this is what I've been praying for all my life, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to tell everybody. Everybody's going to know that I'm blessed with a child, right? But she stays, she keeps it a secret for five months. Why is that? When God finally answers your prayer, you're so afraid to accept the reality. Are there prayers in your life that God begins to answer, but you, God waited so long that you no longer wanted it? 
are there prayers in your life that God answers finally, but it's been so long that you no longer want it or you no longer want to accept it because you think, this is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. Maybe I'll have a miscarriage. Maybe, maybe God's not going to fulfill this promise. So she is afraid. She is scared. She doesn't want to be stepped into ridicule again. She might have thought five months. I've stayed five months, four more months. If the child is born, then I'll let the whole world know. Right? So she keeps it a secret for so long. But what happens? Mary comes to her. You know, when... When there are situations in your life, when God gives you a calling, when God gives somebody else a calling, you find equal partners. You find somebody else who has the same calling. You find somebody, you surround yourself with the like-minded people. You surround yourself with the people who is going to lift you up and not the people who is going to put you down. Who is in your corner? Who is backing you up? Who is in your corner who is going to support the vision that God has for you? Not, you don't need to be around the people who are going to say, you know, that might not happen. You know, they don't really accept women in ministry. You know that you're just too young for this. You know you're just too old for this. You know you don't know English. You don't know this language. I know my limitations right? But who is in your corner to cheer you on? Who is in your corner to identify the power of God that is in you, the anointing of God that is in you, where, God, where they're going to say, keep on going, keep on going, because, because it is not the resources that you have. It is not the gifts that you have. It's not the talents that you have, but it's the power of God that is in you that's going to fulfill this through you. If I'm going to do this through my talent, if I'm going to start this business through my resources, if I'm going to get this education through my talent or my, uh, my smartness, then why do I need God? I don't need God. I need God when I'm going to try and do something that is impossible for me to do. When I know that God, this is too big for me to do by myself. I need a bigger hand to back me up. Amen. And so Mary and Elizabeth, because Mary has a miracle and a promise that she's not able to do. You know, she's a teenager who got pregnant as a virgin. This is, this has never happened before. How are you going to deal with this? She's being ridiculed. Elizabeth is being ridiculed. So two and two come together to support each other. Find your support. Find your corner. Surround yourself with people who will not ridicule you, but they will support you. But guess what happened? When Mary comes over to Elizabeth's house, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps and she is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Chronologically, this is the first book of the New Testament. And chronologically, this is the first person in the New Testament to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? God didn't choose a man or a priest or anybody else to empower with the power of the Holy Spirit. He chose a woman in her 60s who had been ridiculed by the community, by everybody else, the most unlikely candidate to be empowered by the Holy Spirit is the person to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't think like the way we do. And thank God for that. Amen. Amen. God chooses the most unlikely candidates. God's not looking for your credentials. God's not looking at your resume. God's not looking at what all you did in your Christian life. God's just looking at 
who you are obedient to God in the small things that you have done. A woman in her 60s, ridiculed by the society, is the one who is chosen by God to be the first person to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And it says that after she was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, she exclaims loudly. So where's her secret? If this was a secret, she would hush, hush, right? But this is no longer a secret because when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, there is no room for fear. There is no room for timidity. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes, every doubt is gone away. Amen? When the power of the Holy Spirit came, she knew and she prophesied. Because so far, she, did, she knew that uh, her son John is going to be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. But she doesn't know when, when that's going to be. She doesn't know who's going who's to be the mother. But unless it is by the power of the Holy Spirit who revealed it to her that Mary is going to be the mother of the Messiah, she wouldn't have known. But she prophesies to Mary. And she says, who am I that you, the mother of the Messiah, is come to meet me? She prophesies. And if you look on further down, after the birth of John the Baptist. After the birth of John the Baptist, God, uh, the people ask uh, Zechariah, hey, what should the name of the son child be? And he says, it needs to be John. And immediately, his tongue is loosened. Immediately his tongue is loosened. And after that you see in verse uh, verse 67, if you return to verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was asking God, why is it that you chose the first two people in the New Testament chronologically to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be an old man and an old woman in their 60s who had no credentials, who were unknown? They were not the high priest. They were, it wasn't Mary and Joseph. You would think it would be Mary and Joseph, but it's not. Why is it? Because, and God told me this as Josiah was running around. How many of you all know you need a special anointing when you are a parent? How many of you know that Christian's raising his hand? He's speaking for his parents. Uh, how many of you know through every stage you need a special anointing from God? During that early stages when you have to be up four or five nights in a row changing the diaper, taking care of the baby. Then when they're four, when they're eight and heaven forbid they become teenagers and oh lord teenagers are so hard to deal with right so you need a special anointing from god when you become a parent but not only that when you are a parent everybody thinks their child is special to them right everybody's child is special to them you believe that your child is no ordinary child but when you are an anointed parent when you are filled with the holy spirit that anointing passes to your child because your child watches how you are your child watches your prayer life your child sees you waking up at five in the morning praying going to god's presence praying for the hard challenges and they pick up on that they pick up on that if john is called to be the 
next person who is the next prophet, the next Elijah, he's going to be the one who prepares the way for the Lord. He's just not going to learn that by himself. He needs anointed parents to lead the way. Amen. If you are a parent here, you have to know that there needs to be an anointing in you. There needs to be the power of the Holy Spirit in you because you need the discernment of God as you raise your children. And your children, just because they're 18 or 21, does, no longer does, is not your children. They're always going to be your children. You always have the right to rebuke them. You always have the right to discipline them. Because you are the authority that God has placed over their life. You are going to be the parent of a world changer. You need to accept that right now as you are a parent of a child. You are the parent of a world changer. It might not look like that now. Because some of us, we look at our children and we're like, God, this did not come from me, right? (laughs) So some of us might not think of that. But if you believe in the appointed time, God is going to do something marvelous in the life of your children. Amen. We need anointed parents here. Anointed parents here who is going to speak over your children. Not just the people who have children right now, but those who are going to have children in the future. You need to speak and prophesy into the lives of your children. I want the worship team behind me. As we conclude, I want us to think about our prayer life. What is our prayer life like? Are we sometimes acting like the people of the world where we beg God, where we barter with God, where we bargain with God, where we say, God, if you do this, I'll do this. Or we, do we have a relationship with God every day that we can stand in the presence of God and say, God, I want this because you know that you are a child. When you are a child of God, you ask God like a child. You ask God expectedly. Amen. I heard somebody say this once that the posture of your heart when you pray. The expectancy is a posture of your heart, of your prayer life. Expectancy, I, I have this down. Expectation is the posture of prayer. Expectation is the posture for prayer. I'm also going to say expectation is the posture for a miracle. Because there are doors that's closed in our life which we say, God, I want this to be answered. But I don't see how this is going to happen because I don't have the resources. I don't have the talent. I don't have the right uh, connections. I don't have the right networks. But God, I believe that you are able. I believe that this can happen only through you, God. And so God, I want you to do it. Not begging, not pleading, but asking with authority as a child asks its father or its mother. You ask your father. You go to his presence and say, Abba, Father, I ask you to move the mountains, God. When Zachariah spoke the uh, the promise of what God was supposed to do, his tongue was loosened because he believed. It took him nine months for him to believe what what God was about to do. There are people here who have a hard heart. There are people here who are saying who have been calloused. There are people here who have been hurt, who have been jaded. 
because God has not answered the prayer, because you've been hurt by the church, because you've been hurt by a family member. There are people here who have been hurt. And so I say, give your heart to God. It might take time to heal. It might take nine months to heal. It needs the power of God to heal. You might need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit for you to move and to change something in the natural. When something happens in the supernatural, when something happens in the spiritual, something happens in the natural. When when Elisha was surrounded by an army from all sides, what did he see? He saw the armies of heaven fighting for him because he trained his natural eyes to see supernatural. Amen. When uh, Abraham was given the promise that he was going to become a father, he believed in his natural that there was something supernatural that's going to happen. When you start believing in the supernatural, in your spiritual eyes, say, God, open up my eyes, open up my ears so I can see that these mountains in front of me are going to be leveled, God. And when you say that in your spiritual, you speak with authority, you speak with the power that God has given in you, then God is going to move. Then it is going to happen in the natural. You will see the doors that shut open before you. You're going to see that prodigal son return to you. You're going to see that unsaved family member come come to the Lord. You're going to see a healing that you have been praying for. You're going to see a deliverance for the prayer that you have been praying for years. Do not bury that prayer yet. Do not give up on that prayer yet because God is about to do something miraculous and wonderful that the nations will stand in awe of what God is about to do in your life. The uh, the people will see what God is about to do in your life and call you a testimony. How many of you here are ready to see God move in your life one more time. I want you all to stand up in front of me. I want you all to raise your hands to God and say, God, I have not given up, God. God, I have not given up, God. God, that prayer that I buried so long ago, God, I need that healing today, God. God, I need that healing today, God. I need this miracle today, God. Jesus, I pray that you will move amongst us this morning, God. Let the mountains be leveled in front of me. Let the doors be open in front of me. Let me see in the spiritual the angels that's fighting for me. Let me see the the God who is fighting for me. In Jesus' name, Master Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this morning time. I thank you, Lord, for the powerful word that you have spoken to us, God. I pray that you will change my heart, that you will soften my heart. God, let it not take nine months for me to believe what you are about to do. Let me believe right now in Jesus' name about what you're going to do in my life. God, I don't think I'm an ordinary person. I don't think my child is an ordinary person. I speak the power of God on his life. I speak the power of God on my children, God. I speak the power of God on my life, God. I want to see myself like you see me, God. Jesus, I pray that you'll help me to walk into the promises that you have for my life, Jesus. Master, I pray, God, for every single person here. Jesus, I pray that your anointing will fall upon them to be a parent, to be a leader, to be a businessman, to be a nurse, to be whatever profession, whatever calling that you have given on them, God, whether it's ministry related or not, I pray, Jesus, that you will empower them so when they are doing bedside nursing, God, that they will be ministering to the person, Jesus. I pray that when
when they are in a business meeting, God, that they are not just talking about strategy, but they are talking about your plans and they will be successful in the name of Jesus. I pray, Master, that you will give your spirit, Lord, to men and women around me in this church this morning. I thank you, Lord, because you have done this in Jesus' name.